This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. Previously in Vanishing Shadows, Lee's path takes an interesting turn as she meets a stranger at an auto shop. She instantly feels a connection as the man offers her an orange in an act of kindness and generosity. A small act, but one that stands out in her rough day. Is this stranger just a kind passerby, or someone who will become important in Lee's story? Let's find out in this next episode of Vanishing Shadows. In sociological terms, they call it the fundamental attribution error. Basically, it means that when people see someone in a bad situation, they tend to believe that individual brought it on themselves. What did I think of the homeless before I became one of them? Not much is the short answer. This is the story of Lee Crawford and how a series of bad choices flipped her life upside down. But what if there's an escape? One night, sleeping in her car with an ocean view, a desperate cry shattered the silence. I'm sorry. And then I hear a splash. What the hell is this woman doing? It's just April. The Pacific will be frigid. If I hadn't heard her cries, this stranger would have drowned, as she clearly intended. You should have left me. I don't want to be here. You're listening to Vanishing Shadows. This is Episode 4, Lee's Unexpected Encounter. They say a restaurant is like a baby. It demands your constant attention, occupies your mind when you're away from it, and even in the worst moments, when you want to cry with exhaustion and frustration, you wouldn't trade it for the world. That's how I felt about the aviary. It was more than a business. It was my passion, my true love, my social life, my family. Old friendships faded away, suffering from neglect and scheduling difficulties. As the boss, I should have kept myself aloof, removed from the rest of my team. But at the end of each night, we'd eat dinner, drink tequila, and play cards. Like a party. Like a family. Often, I wouldn't get home until 3, even 4 a.m. Sometimes I wouldn't go home alone. It wasn't a healthy existence. But God, it was so much fun. These were the people I worried about when I vanished, when I locked the door and walked away. I put together food kits for the staff, divvying up the rice and flour and beans, the cheese and butter and chocolate. In the office, I left an expensive bottle of bread for my manager. My sous chef received his favorite tequila. Each item was tagged with a note. With gratitude, Lee. And then I vanished before Damon could break my hand. The aviary was my identity as much as my business. I was the restaurant, and it was me. That's why I tried to hang on to it. That's why I betrayed my sister. Because I was afraid that I would lose myself without it, that I would disappear. And I have. It feels like a severed limb sometimes, an invisible ache for a lost lover or a cherished pet. Sometimes it's a physical pain. Or maybe that's the throb of the crushed bones in my finger. They have healed by now. But in the cold, damp climate, the discomfort returns. The tap on the window wakes me. But I don't start. Don't reach for my knife. I'm too sick to care who is out there. What they might do to me. 
Murder might be a relief from my current state of misery. Kidding. Sort of. But the face peering at my window isn't dangerous. It's concerned, compassionate, and beautiful. I open the door crack. Hey. Godly, you look terrible. Hazel rests her hand on my cheek. You're burning up. What time is it? I scrabble in the console for my flip phone. I have to go to work. It's 6.15 in the morning. Where do you work? Uncle Jack's. It's a diner in Beacon Hill. Call in. Tell them to get someone to cover. You're too sick. I meet her eyes, my voice deliberate. I can't afford to miss work. This is my fault, isn't it? She observes me, arms crossed. You got cold and wet when you pulled me out of the water, and now you're sick. I shrug. There's a bug going around. I brought you a croissant. She hands me a greasy paper sack that I hadn't noticed. What time do you start work? Four. She presses her lips together, thinking. I have to go home now, but I'll try to come back later and bring you some supplies. Soup, cold medicine, and vitamin C. Anything else? Tea. Got it. She strokes my hair like an injured dog's. The affection, the human touch, is so nice. Eat your breakfast, then go back to sleep. I close my eyes, wishing beyond hope that she would invite me into her home. That she'd offer me a spare bed with a soft mattress and clean sheets, even for a couple of hours. But she doesn't. And I can't blame her. I'm already drifting off as she shuts the door and jogs away. When I get to the diner at 3.30, I feel almost human. My throat is still sore, but the cold medicine Hazel brought me has cleared my sinuses and soothed my body aches. She had returned, as promised, in a black Mercedes. She was dressed in stylish jeans, cool white sneakers, a well-cut blazer over a t-shirt. She was carrying a canvas bag filled with supplies. The medicine, lozenges, vitamin C, a container of soup, a paper cup of tea, and a bunch of cosmetics. When you look good, you feel good, she explained. Let me fix you up a bit. What I needed was a hot shower and a blow dryer, but Hazel wasn't daunted. She sat in my passenger seat and gently washed my face with a scented facial wipe. Then she moisturized my skin and applied some light makeup. Her ministrations were relaxing, maybe even healing. When she brushed my hair, I closed my eyes and thought of Teresa. My sister had braided my hair when we were girls, her fingers tickling my scalp as she worked through my dark mane. I had tried to braid hers, but the results were never as tidy. My throat felt tight with the memory. When Hazel was done, she angled the rearview mirror toward me. You're gorgeous. I took in my face by section. Contoured eyes, rosy cheeks, a glossy mouth. Gorgeous was a stretch, but I looked pretty. And more importantly, healthy. 
Lewis glances up as I set a fresh glass of Sprite in front of him. Has he noticed my makeover? There is a flicker of acknowledgement, even appreciation in his eyes. But he turns away as the front door opens. All business. The man who enters isn't here for drugs, though. He takes a seat at the opposite end of the bar, and I slide a menu to him. Coffee? Yes, please. He looks up and our eyes meet. His are intense, almost golden in the fluorescent lighting. It's him. The guy who gave me the orange at the garage yesterday. Does he recognize me? As I retrieve the coffee pot, I feel strangely shy. This isn't a huge coincidence. The man was having his windshield fixed in the area. He probably lives nearby. But his small gesture of kindness had been so meaningful, so needed. And now he's here, in my diner. And I look better than I've looked in, well, a while. Something dormant stirs inside of me. I pour him a cup of coffee. What's good here? He asks. It's all about the same, I say. Stick with the basics. You'll be fine. So avoid the Thai curry shrimp bowl. Definitely. He smiles and there's a twinkle in those hazel eyes. Does he remember me as the pitiful mess in the garage? If he does, he doesn't mention it. He orders a beef dip, fries, and a Coke. Good choice. Good advice. After I submit his order to the kitchen, I attend to my other tables. But his presence is distracting. I find reasons to return to the counter. To busy myself with drinks and condiments, hovering around him. His eyes track me. At least, I think they do. I can't look. I feel fluttery, like a teenager. My lips curled into a small, self-conscious smile. When his order is up, I place it in front of him. Thanks, Lee. He's read my name tag. You're welcome. I prod. Jesse, he says, and he smiles, revealing a dimple in his left cheek. Nice to meet you. Again. So he does remember. Thanks for the orange. I was pretty sick yesterday. I could tell. Feeling better? Yeah. You look better. I mean, you look great. Not that you looked bad yesterday, you just looked sick. We're flirting. It feels stiff and awkward, like an unused muscle. But I'm still grinning, and my chest feels light. That orange must have cured me. I should be a doctor. Lee, Randy barks. Table 14 is waiting for their change. Busted, Jesse says with a conspiratorial wink. I wink back and then hurry to the waiting booth. I force myself to focus on my other customers. Losing my job is not an option. Randy monitors me as I move efficiently from booth to booth and back to the kitchen. Jesse is still at the bar, still eating a sandwich, still in my peripheral vision. Watching him is part of my job, refilling his coffee, offering dessert. Noticing the outline of strong shoulders in his thin t-shirt, the curl of his brown hair at the nape of his neck, is not. When he pushes his plate away, I hurry toward him. 
Anything else? I ask. What time do you finish, Lee? Midnight. I'll come back. We can get a drink somewhere. I should say no. I'm sick. And on medication that should not be mixed with alcohol. And after my shift, I get a free meal that I need to sustain me through the next day. But I'm pulled toward this man like a magnet. He makes me feel like the old me. Like an attractive woman again. Sounds good, I say. And I smile. We'll be back to Daily Bedtime Tales right after this message. Ever flung a whodunit across the room on the grounds of incompetent sleuthing? Ian Pierce hasn't, because he's never read a whodunit in his life. He still boasts that he could solve one, though. Listen and learn as this self-appointed crime guru attempts to guide a private investigator to the truth in an original murder mystery written by Tom Knight. Welcome to The Directed Detective. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With AIM are here to make it happen. With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. The pillow is soft against my face, and I snuggle under the blankets. I'm tempted to go back to sleep, but a slip of spring sunshine filters through the blinds, telling me it's morning, that I should get up. My throat is tender, and my mouth feels parched from mouth breathing. I roll over in search of my water bottle and my back twinges. It's used to sleeping in a slightly reclined position. I haven't lain flat in so long. Suddenly, I sit bolt upright, grasping for my bearings. I'm alone in a masculine bedroom, sparsely furnished with a battered four-drawer dresser and a wobbly bedside table. In a corner are several dumbbells and an acoustic guitar case. Clothing litters the parquet floor. Faded jeans, t-shirts, a couple of flannels. I recognize my own jeans and black t-shirt in the disarray. It comes back to me then. Jesse. We had gone for a drink at a dive bar a few blocks from the diner. I'd left my car parked behind Uncle Jack's. He'd driven us in his Audi. I should have ordered a Coke or a bubbly water, but I was nervous and excited. I thought the whiskey would calm my nerves, make me charming and witty. Surely my tolerance was up for my nightly indulgence. But combined with the cold medicine and my illness, it had nearly put me to sleep. Scrambling from the double bed in my bra and panties, I gather up my clothes and struggle into them. I need to find a bathroom, 
to pee and freshen up before Jesse sees me. We didn't have sex or even kiss. That I'd remember. But I'm embarrassed, subtly ashamed. Who nods off on a first date after one drink? And though there's no mirror in his bedroom, I know I look terrible. I open the door crack and peer into the apartment. The charcoal-colored couch is vacant, but there's a pillow at one end, a jumbled blanket at the other. So that's where he'd spent the night. The rest of the living area is dominated by a massive TV and a bunch of gaming consoles. A small alcove off to the right presents as a den, housing a cheap single-drawer desk, a laptop, a few books on kinesiology. It's a typical bachelor pad, but Jesse is not typical. The way he'd insisted I couldn't drive last night was so caring. And the way he'd brought me home, gently helped me out of my clothes, settled me into his bed, before kissing my forehead and slipping out of the room, was beyond. Where is he now? Before I go searching, I notice the bathroom door slightly ajar and scurry toward it. The room is small and dated like the rest of the apartment. The pink appliances the scuffed hardwood, and the yellowing paint are incongruous with the expensive Audi Jesse drives. But it is not unheard of for a guy to sink more money into his car than his home. I relieve myself and then hurry to the mirror above the sink. Ugh. The makeup Hazel applied yesterday is smudged and smeared. I wash it away with a spa brand facial cleanser. Jesse apparently spends money on skincare too. My skin feels tight but I look better. I squeeze a glob of toothpaste onto my finger and finger brush my teeth. There's a hairbrush on the counter, perfect for a wavy mane like mine, and I run it through my hair. I find an elastic in the pocket of my jeans, and I scoop my hair into a high ponytail. When I emerge, I listen for my host, but the place is silent. The only sounds are the clatter of pipes above me and the distant hum of traffic outside. Peeking through the living room blinds, I notice the heavy steel bars on the window. The apartment is on the ground floor and looks out onto a dismal alley. Clearly, break-ins must be an issue in the area. Still, it is infinitely more secure than living in a car. I move into the small galley kitchen where a large evergreen tree blocks the light of the only window. At least it eliminates the need for security bars. Jesse has virtually no appliances. The chipped laminate counter is lined with supplements and protein powders. With the free weights in his bedroom and Jesse's muscular physique, I'm getting a picture of a fit, health-conscious guy. What was he doing in a greasy spoon like Uncle Jack's? Unless it had been more than a coincidence. Had he been looking for me? The possibility evokes a flutter in my chest, and I smile into the emptiness. I peek into his fridge. It's rude to help myself, but I'm a little queasy from last night's whiskey on an empty stomach. There are more vitamins, almond milk, a plastic box of spinach, and two apples. Can I take one? Will he mind? But I'm already reaching for it, running it under the tap and biting into it. It's crisp and juicy, and I close my eyes, savoring the sweetness. This moment, in a warm kitchen, with a fresh piece of fruit, 
is something I would have taken for granted in my old life. Not anymore. On the sofa, I curl up under the blanket and eat the apple. I wait. And then I wait some more. As I nibble at the core, I feel a tinge of panic. What if Jesse's not coming back? Maybe he's gone to work and won't return for eight or nine hours? I don't know where I am. How will I get back to my car? How far am I from the diner? Seattle is still unfamiliar to me. And without a smartphone, I'm lost. Do I have enough money from last night's tips to pay for a cab? Even if I do, I don't know the number. I'm on the verge of freaking out when I hear a key in the lock. Jesse enters carrying a cardboard tray with two disposable coffee cups and a paper bag. You're up, he says, moving toward the couch. How are you feeling? I'm fine. It's almost true. Sorry about last night. T. He hands me a cup. Lots of honey. Good for the throat. He sits beside me. Why are you sorry? I don't normally pass out on the first date. Date. It was just a drink, not a date date. I feel like a fool. But Jesse takes a sip of his drink and I smell the strong coffee. You were sick. It's understandable. He digs into the paper sack and removes a muffin the size of my head. Banana walnut okay? I take the muffin, breaking off a piece and shoving it into my mouth. It's sweet, greasy, more like cake than a breakfast food, but it's delicious. With effort, I eat slowly, casually. I stole an apple, I admit. Just leave a dollar on the table when you leave. He's joking, but I realize I've probably overstayed. I should get out of your hair. Relax. I don't have a client until 11. What do you do? Personal trainer. The body. The supplements. The weights. It makes sense. Would the old Lee have dated a personal trainer? She would have been concerned about conflicting schedules, a shortage of common interests, and probably a certain superficiality. But now, all that matters is that he's good and kind. I want to write music, he adds, but it's a tough business. God, he's a poet? A poet with a killer body. What about you? He asks. You like working at the diner? A derisive snort erupts from me. It's fine. It's a job. But you'd rather be doing something else? I used to own my own restaurant in New York. But that was another life. Maybe you can again. He doesn't know I'm homeless that I'm barely surviving. But even if I wasn't, it's a huge leap from waitressing at Uncle Jack's to being a restaurateur. I don't think so. I scooch forward on the couch. I really should go. Okay, I'll drive you home. I left my car at the diner. Can you take me there? As he maneuvers the Audi through the streets, I try to pay attention to my surroundings, to get my bearings but I'm hopelessly lost. Seattle plays tricks with its huge lake mimicking the ocean. This is a nice car, I say. It's a lease, he admits. A business write-off. 
Most of my clients are wealthy and kind of stuck up. I have to play the part. He hangs a right into an alley, and suddenly we're behind the restaurant, idling near my Corolla. Thanks. I unclip my seatbelt. For letting me crash. And for taking care of me. And for the tea and the muffin. Let's try this again. He angles his body toward me. When you're feeling better. I'd like that. Should we exchange numbers? I know where to find you. Our eyes meet and I wonder if he'll kiss me. The chemistry is there. I'm not imagining it. But I'm still sick. Probably contagious. Jesse leans in and presses his lips to my forehead. See you soon, Lee. I climb out and stand in the alley, watching his car drive away. Thank you for tuning in to this part of the story. Don't forget to follow Daily Bedtime Tales so you won't miss out on what happens next in this compelling narrative.